Before we start this episode, I want to give a big shout out to Zipster, local web people who help entrepreneurs and artists make kick-ass websites and get found online. Visit Zipster.com to find out more information. And on to the episode. This is Andrew Duke, and you're listening to the Free Pizza Podcast. Free Pizza, your platform for creatives, and today we have a very, 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 very special guest from New York City, not from New York City, in New York City right now currently, Jay Bowie, uh, a dance artist, and I'm so excited because I haven't interviewed a lot of dancers on this show. I have in the past, like years ago, but not recently, so I'm very, very, very um, happy and honored that you're you're here with me. How you doing? I'm well. Uh, thank you for having me. This is a great, um, this is a great platform. I'm just like... <laughs> <laughs> the vibe is clear. Um, your energy is clear. We just checked in a little bit before, um, like starting to record, and I just feel really great at home. And I just want to really quickly name that the way you named this podcast is very clear. <laughs> I don't know if anyone else has been in college before, <laughs> but you look for free pizza. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, absolutely. When we named this podcast, and there was when I was my um, partner Jacob, we were trying to think of a name that would really stand out, you know. Um, it would be more of a conversational starter, you know, like free pizza. You're like, why name it free pizza? But it, you know, it kind of stays with you. So, yeah, and it's you know, you offer somebody free pizza while they're chewing, you get to have a conversation. So. <laughs> Exactly. One day I'll get a sponsorship from uh, some pizza spot and I can really. (laughs) When you come to New York, you know, there's a bunch of pizza spots that will love that. All right, Jay. Look, I I told Jay that I was looking to move there in 2020 before COVID hit. And I still would love to live in New York City. And Jay is convincing me to come to Bed-Stuy. So we'll see what happens. Do or die. Do or die. That's the only option. (laughs) Big facts. Big facts. Big facts. (laughs) But... (laughs) But Jay, I'm so happy I caught you because you just said it's the end of uh, a busy season for you. You had a performance season. Um, so I got you kind of on the cool down and rest period. Um, and I'm just, I looked through your website when I first, and let me, let me just, let's go back to how I first found you. I found you through Amber Abundance's um, Instagram story, I believe. And I went to your page and I was like, oh my goodness, I have to interview Jay. Um, I watched your videos, went through your site, saw everything you did. I was like, oh, my gosh, I've seen this email. And I was like, Jay, he's not, not going to hit me back up. It's going to be, like, you know, it's going to go on deaf ears. And sure enough, you hit me. I was like, oh, this is so crazy. I'm so excited. <laughs> I mean, how could I not? Like, one, one is Amber. So, like, anybody that's connected to Amber is connected to me. Yes. Family is family. Love is love in that way. Absolutely. Um, but the second thing is, like, I have to be honest with you. It's very... It's very rare that people actually approach me because of some of what you named before. So a lot of people assume that I don't have the time, that I'm not interested, and that I won't hit them back. So they never actually make that simple step to manifest exactly what they're looking for, which is reaching out. So when people reach out, I understand how difficult it could be amongst (laughs) other things that I didn't name. So I'm like, at the very least, we can start having a conversation and figure out how we can be in right relationship with one another. Absolutely. And now here we are, and we're already friends. You know what I'm saying? I'm so excited about that. Um, So yes, Jay, just pass it on to you and get your story, because I want to hear it instead of people listening. Um, So where are you from? Let's start there, and then guide us through how you find your way into dance. 
Yeah, so I'm from um, Southern California. My um, Los Angeles, uh, Inglewood slash like High Park area, more specifically High Park for the people who are in Los Angeles. Um, my uh, my dad is a musician, uh, Madhu oh. Simba. He's a he's a percussionist. Wow. And my mother, yeah, Marcia Williams is a nurse. Um, my maternal grandparents, uh, Billy, Clyde, and um, Florence Best uh, Williams are also, Billy Clyde Williams, Florence Best Williams, um, were really great community organizers in California. They essentially worked at the parks and they used to, um, you know, when you go to the parks and you see those like big old um, like brick fortresses that look like they can do something, but they're not doing anything right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Back in the day, people used to work inside them, make food, and like make sure that when people were at the park, they had a good time with nourishment. Oh, wow. (laughs) They used to work for the park and do that part in the the spaces, right? Oh, wow. Um, Yeah. And um, my uh, paternal grandparents, Billy, no, not Billy, sorry, Joseph Day, and uh, Joseph Day Bowie and Pauline Bowie, they were Jehovah's Witnesses and worked in the factories up in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Okay. So... With the combination of those two lineages, um, I came into dance with people telling me I didn't know how to dance. (laughs) (laughs) I was the black kid uh, who had no rhythm. (laughs) I don't believe them. I never. I don't believe them for what I've seen. (laughs) Thank you. You know what I mean. So I have to spend a lot of time proving niggas wrong. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Good on you. Good on you. Yeah, they told me I couldn't dance. Um, I just listened to music and sounds and moved my body differently. I was just very different. Um, and I basically came into dance by doing every other art form in most sports. Um, and dance just happened to be last. What? Out, yeah. From playing the piano, clarinet, even being a drum major in marching band. Um, and then going and doing like running track, playing football, basketball. I was like the best male athlete in the school district at one point. All of those things. Oh. Into uh, joining a step team and being, I would say the step team really was the like beginning of, oh, can this dance thing be something for me? Yes. Because it combined what I loved of music. Um, like I said, my dad's percussionist. So it, it helped me take all that information that I got from him mm-hmm. um, and put it into a practice that made sense to me, which is moving and using my body. And um, people would say that that was dancing. So I was just like, okay, well, I like it. You say it's dancing. Cool. Let's go with it. Yeah. Um, but I would lastly say that the, the major keystone that made that first question make sense for me to like run with the vision for a life in dance was being in, um, being in a public library in Phoenix, Arizona. So I spent a lot of time in Phoenix, Arizona after Los Angeles, by the way. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, my family, we have relocated for a minute. So um, I'm on a step team. We used to go to uh, the public library to get on the internet back in the day when the internet wasn't just something on your phone. Yes, um, been there. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> and um, Beyonce had just released uh, B-Day. Okay. And similar to Renaissance, we was in a moment. Yes. <laughs> Shout out to that record. Shout out, truly, truly, because it's a it's a cultural reset. Facts, big facts. I love I love that record. Oh my god. Woo. So no, specifically, shout out to all the black women. Shout out to Black Femme 
Pleasure, which is the foundation of disco and EDM music. Yes. And shout out to all the black queer men um, who made sure that we had this music to get here. Ab- so, absolutely. Yes, yes, yes. So just to wrap up this little introduction, I did, I was in a library and I was looking at uh, Beyonce live performances because I loved the way her voice sounded live more than I liked it on the record at the time. Absolutely. I agree with that. Yep. And I found a performance of Dangerously in Love in which um, Anthony Burrell did this like contemporary duet with Ashley Everett um, before the song started. And the way that I saw him move his body, like the first time I saw a black man move softly, femininely, mm-hmm. with elongated lines, um, with care, with love, and with grace, made me go that that's the image okay so i pursued the dance forms that allow for my body to fit into those images and here i am today oh my goodness so before that you were doing the step stuff it's kind of pretty aggressive movements and not as you know not as soft and i guess flowing um you you saw that performance and it pretty much boom night and day like all right cool that's what i want to do yes no seriously i was like period (laughs) oh my (laughs) god That's amazing. So how was that transition? So did you stop stepping and move into something else? Or how did you make the transition into uh, more of that that way of dancing? It was almost like life was set up for that. The step team I was on, um, the previous head captains were dancers and were professional dancers after they graduated. And I was... Um, essentially promoted to head captain. So I felt like it was a responsibility for me to take dance classes in order for me to be a proper head captain. Mm -hmm. Yes. And uh, the dance classes were like modern ballet and stuff like that. So I did a chasse and I was like, oh, this is going to help me get to that thing that I saw. Yes. Oh, that's perfect. So I was a young... Go sorry, last thing to say, I was on the step team and taking dance classes at the same time. At the same time. Oh my god, Jay. <laughs> was it hard kind of like juggling like cuz those are two completely different, you know, genres of dance. So like how would you how were you able to balance it? You know, balance is a tricky thing, and Amber actually said it really wonderfully um in her film Abundance when she talks about the story of tension. I think that might have been like part three of the film Mm -hmm. um there's almost nothing you can really do in life without the proper tension not just tension in general Mm -hmm. but the proper tension and i say that to say that it wasn't as much of a balance as much as it was a tension between this masculine aggressive rhythmic form and this feminine um departure from um, all that I knew. It was more of an unknown. Like I knew rhythm because of my dad. I knew the physicality because of sports. I knew a lot and I had to be with what I knew to understand what I didn't know for a while. And then the tension had to break. And I think that's the other part of what Amber talks about in that film, in this analogy I'm setting up between these two forms is that um, what I had to understand was that if I didn't break the tension, which was leave the step team my senior year of high school, mm-hmm. then I might not have the shins and the uh, calves to be able to do the dance forms. Like I knew that yep. I could fuck up my entire career before it starts. Yeah, absolutely. Pounding my feet on concrete as hard as I did. You know what I mean? 
Oh, um, my goodness. So in this way, I chose. I balanced being four one another, you know what I mean? Like, I was one of the, I, I admired my experience in high school in that way because I felt like I was living in the exaltation of my art mm-hmm. um, at that time. And because I also played musical instruments that were not percussive, like I played the wood instrument, like clarinet and played the piano, I had a sense of melody um, that percussion doesn't often explore or as, as in as much depth. So I was able to be embodied, like I got in sports, working with rhythm, um, as well as creating shapes and lines that called into that sense of femininity, all while being able to be at the helm of the states and I think we got to a national level like championship step team mm. um, as the head over team captain where I basically choreographed everything. So I was literally like taking what I was learning from the dance classes, taking from what I learned from music, music theory and all this other stuff and yeah. just being after school every day. And when I say every day, I mean five days a week, oh. um, two to three hours in front of 30 to 50 people being like, okay, and y'all do this and you do this. So I was... It was great. But again, the body has its limits. So when uh, yes. the came and I knew that I was going to go down this route, I said, hey, y'all, I got to go. And I went <laughs> on to college. And oh, lived. my. What a God. What an introduction. <laughs> 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 that is crazy. Did you ever study the also the culture behind dancing while you were that young, young or did that come later or, at all? Yeah, it was um, it was like an indoctrination, okay. unfortunately. Yeah, 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 yeah. Which is which white is supremacy, the academia. Still <laughs> fine, still fine. And um, you still and you went to school where? I went to Arizona State. Arizona State and for dance. Yeah, BFA at the Herberg Institute for Arts and Design. Yeah. Oh, that is amazing. So no the, black teachers. You said no black teachers. <laughs> I had no black teachers. Oh. There were black teachers that came through that I had none. <laughs> oh, no. Well, there, um, and we'll, we'll get into that in a second. Yeah. <laughs> when did you know, obviously you enjoyed dancing, you know, mm-hmm. when you hit the step team and doing your thing and study other parts of dance. But when did you know that you wanted to do it as a career? Like, as far as you wanted to study it in college? Earlier on than, um, yeah, earlier on. It might have been um, might have been somewhere around like my second or third year in the dance department. So I went to South Mountain High School in Arizona. Okay. Yeah. With Phoenix. And we had a magnet program. So when you're in the magnet program, you just get to focus more of your studies in the area that you want to focus in, right? Mm-hmm. Um and it honestly was the school that had the most magnets in the state. So like some people came from other schools to our school. We had literally an airplane on campus where you can learn how to, you get your private fly, private pilot's license. You can, you know, so you can focus to that degree, right? Wow. Okay. Okay. Yeah. That's a flat. That's a flats. Very big flats, right? <laughs> the unfortunate balance to that or imbalance to that was um, when I was not in school, there was no access to dance. Oh, no. So it was there like the summers would just like be like just wait until fall kicks back up so I can do the thing that I love again. Yeah. And I don't know exactly where, but in that in that cycle, I started to realize that this thing that we all have access to, which is our bodies and dance, um, 
has limitations. It's not as accessible because without the proper teachers, studios, um, mm-hmm. resources in those ways, community resources, I can't continue my studies. And I was getting a lot of mental health benefits. I was, you know, experiencing a lot of trauma as a child. Um, my family experienced homelessness a lot during that time. Oh, man. And yeah, amongst other things. Um, but dancing helped make me want to live. Oh, okay. So I knew that if I had it, um, it was better if I needed it than other people needed it. Yes. So yes. I really wanted to be a family counselor. Um, like I wanted to go to college, become a therapist, heal families in a way that I would imagine my family being healed. Right. And dance fit a part of that that I couldn't explain at the time, but I decided to choose dance um, in many ways. And I ought to say I wanted to make a career out of dance because I just wanted this exhausting experience in your body to be accessible to all people. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Wow. What a, I'm so happy you found that. That makes me very happy that you found dance that where it was able to, you know, like said, you said kept you alive and kept your mental stable. You know what I'm saying? That's a, that's a, I hate that you went through homelessness and all that. That's a, that's, that's, that's devastating, but I'm so happy that you're here. Girl, to, you know, tell the story. We blame the state for that. You know what I mean? Oh, we okay. all try to stay up out of it. So, <laughs> <laughs> Wow, wow. So you ended up going to college for it, went to Arizona State. Did you look at any other schools at all? Because I was just dance schools around the country. Did you want to stay in Arizona with your family? I didn't know that much. Okay. I was like, honestly, I applied to Arizona State, got in, and I was, and I applied the summer before senior year started. I got in and I was kind of like, bet, let's just yeah. finish out this year and go to that school. It's down the street. Yeah. Um, they offered me a full ride. I auditioned for the uh, dance department, got in, got a scholarship. I was like, I'm not even questioning this shit. Let's just go. Let's go. <laughs> it's flowing perfectly. Let's go. Let's go with it. That's crazy. Yeah. How was the audition process? What did you do? Did you have to choreograph for your own? Oh, my God. It was the, I've only had one, right? So I've only auditioned for one university. So I can't compare. Okay. But I'm comparing my experience to what other people said their experiences were. And I can tell you something most unique thing. So shout out to Arizona State for completely redefining what dance could be right before we got there to give us this experience. So instead of just doing your typical like learn this choreography, be in front of these people, get the chop, very, uh, what's her name? Uh, Lorianne Gibson, Boom Cat. It wasn't, we, we got outside of that. Because the question was for them, what can dance do for society beyond the industry of capitalism? Ooh, oh, okay. Yes. So, they, right. So they wanted studious minds who were thinking similarly. Mm-hmm. So they they didn't call it an audition; they call it an interview. And we did some classes. You know, what I mean, like we did a little warm up, showed a solo. Um, we did some creative processes with one another. This is my favorite part: is the creative process because what we did, um, we were sent to lunch. We got this uh, piece of paper, essentially, like little wrapped up piece of paper, little fishbowl type thing, put a lot of piece of paper. Mine was show love or show where the love is or something like that. Okay. And the assignment was between lunch and when we came back to think of some creative movement to show that and then talk about it a little bit on stage. So set up the scene. We're in this black box theater. Okay. Um, we had already danced and done some form of movement that was foreign to everybody um, to make a more equal playing field. And the environment again was to show everyone had these things to show your response to this task 
And instead of us doing it solo, instead of us taking this task, like we have to compete with one another, we all decided to use each other within, I won't say we all, most of us, the people who didn't, honestly, didn't actually become dance majors at that time. Mm. Um, this is part of the reason why. Because there was a huge shockwave that kind of happened um, in the department when a group of minds decided to think outside of the realm of competition with one another and ask each other, how can we support each other to get through this task together? So we all are using each other in our responses. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to craft this big-ass, corny-ass heart Y'all gonna be arguing, and in my move, I'm gonna toss the heart at y'all, and you're gonna love each other. Like that was basically. Okay. It was, I'm in high school. Right? <laughs> I'm thinking, okay, this is okay. Right. Long time ago. <laughs> got me in. Got me a scholarship. So you know, <laughs> don't hate the play. Hate the game. But what I ended up, um, my my favorite experience about that, honestly, was that set up us to do this creative test. I don't know how they set us up for this. I don't know if they had this plan for us or if they thought about this on the fly, but um, I'm learning a lot about this after the fact, right? So I like, was in the dance department, um, was a very impactful person in the school department, and I learned a lot from just hanging out with the faculty members about what they did mm-hmm. in response to that experience, because I ended up helping out a bunch of other um, interviews. And all to say, we got to this point where the final task of the day before going on to solo interviews with academic faculties was to move from the back of the theater okay. all the way up to where the scrim and the lights are at um, to the front of the theater together wow. in silence without touching one another. Oh. So, like, imagine... So, whatever this big ass group of like 25 people moving from one space to another, essentially from the back to the front. And the shape moves together in space and time, Mm -hmm. but no one is like lifting your leg, touching your body. It's just all like, we talk about positive, negative space, how they talked about it. It's like your body, your arm is the positive space. The space, if you create like a circle with your arm, you can see me on the camera, but for the people who can't, when you make like a circle with your arm, the space between your fingers and your shoulder or like your elbow um, and all that other stuff is called the negative space. Okay. So the invitation was to always insert your positive space in someone else's negative oh, space. That was crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So silently for 15, maybe 20 minutes, we not only move from the back of the stage to the front of the stage, we move from the back of the stage through the audiences all the way up to the top. Wow. Wow. That sounds... <laughs> That sounds insane. Oh, my gosh. That was the audition slash interview for me to get into that dance department. That's way outside the box. I would have never guessed. Because <laughs> forever ago, I've had friends who I've been on the show said it was way more of a audition type thing. And this, that, yours is way more immersive. Like, that's that's way, I would rather do it like that. That's That's amazing. It calls in, this is my favorite part about you asking this question, and I'm glad that I had this experience. It calls in something about dance and the body Mm. that um, we need right now, which is a radical acceptance that everyone can participate. Yes. So when you have tasks that require that everyone participate, you know what I mean, for a common goal, using a language 
that everyone has access to. So we're not speaking, we're literally using the body language. If we want to go in a direction, you gotta literally like, <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> um, you gotta wiggle. Uh, <laughs> but um, that's just the setting. Once you get into the setting, the tasks, the goals, and the accomplishments of that setting become very different than what a hierarchy or a capitalistic environment would require. Right. So for us right. to move from one space to another in that environment without touching one another is just a physical rep, rep, a physical um, image manifestation slash replication of our experience in society right now without the ability to fully touch one another because mm. we're so digital. And we had the monkeypox scare and we had COVID. We have all this lack of being able to touch one another. Yes. But the task of getting to somewhere that is going to be healthy enough for everybody to live. How? How? Wow. Wow, Jay. That's deep. <laughs> wow, that is incredible. Oh, my goodness. So, I'm, yeah, I'm going to have now I'm happy I asked that question. Why that, I didn't prepare you for that one at all. But now I'm happy that came up. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. absolutely. We, we here together. Okay. Yeah, yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And so I was got to the school. I'm sure you're very happy about that. Um, so how was the curriculum? Was it set up like you to do like general classes and then go into your major? Or was you just dancing from the start? Like how did the college experience look for you? They were, they were questioning that. So we we're in the second year of the curriculum changing. So um, you have some people still there who were on the very traditional track of like, if they chose performance track, you took a bunch of dance classes, technique classes, and you performed your ass off. Mm -hmm. If you chose choreography, you did a lot of creative stuff and you choreographed down. Um, and if you chose teacher track, you were doing a lot of pedagogy stuff, teaching stuff. Okay. Okay. So by the time they came to us, they had the second opportunity to polish um, the eradication of any of those boundaries. Wow. Okay. That's just amazing. So the curriculum really looked like here's your general credits you have to fulfill to meet the university requirement of graduating and receiving a BFA. And within that, you can take these classes relatively, like for a lot. When I say relative, I mean like somewhere between like 70, 50 to 75% of like literal freedom in which order, how much, yeah. um, when. And to what degree do you want to engage with all that the university or specifically all that the dance department has to offer? So we had move. I, we, we call them technique classes because I guess they are still technically techniques. But we basically have four contemporary ballet, postmodern movement, um, somatic practices, which is just Ooh. being in your body. Right. Like what are different ways of just being in your body as a human? And then um, they used to call it urban, but it's essentially street and club style dances, all the black diasporic dance forms Okay, that created, you know, that are birth, birth of EDM, disco, so on and so forth. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> wow. You said they used to call um, it urban, but now they don't? They don't call it urban because urban is just an offensive term. Okay. Yeah. I was, you know, it was funny. I was going to mention that. I was fine. You know, even when I had like urban planning, urban whatever, and politics, <laughs> we, we know what you're They're saying. Like yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'm glad, they, I'm glad they changed that. Good. Okay. But I'm so glad they did too. Because we would be like, the urban. Like, we, we could never just say it straight out. Anyways. <laughs> right. So they had that. 
we um my favorite parts outside of the technique stuff was that um we had a dope ass um technical director um carrie coke and she might still be there who required there's like i said there was some freedom but she required that we all in our second year spent most of our time in the theater working every role that was essentially possible because if you're going to do anything in the theater as a performer you need to understand that that shit is possible by the hands of the people who are not on stage yes. making it happen. And a lot of performers don't have the respect, mm. don't share the respect of the people who do that. And she wanted to make sure that when we left that we not only have the respect, but we had the language. So we did a lot of stuff in the theater, technical wise, just to understand we, we put ourselves in those roles, you know? Right. And that's essentially what the dance department was. It, there were very few boundaries, but the boundaries were all in place to make sure that we had a sense of harmony in the world and our craft and everything else is just freedom. You get to decide how you identified, you get to, your papers were just like basically turn them in, just reflect on it, just think about it. There's no right or wrong. You Our first question on the fucking uh, board for a seminar was like what is dance and they essentially just let us argue for two and a half hours <laughs> <Thank> you, <sir. laughs> you know and then be like and that was the lesson y'all have a good day you know what i mean it was a real hippie ass school you know what i mean say, like yeah, really yeah, most of them were hippies themselves in the 70s truthfully you know um and we finally had this experience called dance matters which was our like weekly thursday department meeting and the important thing about it is that we just talked about the the impact of um what dance could be in the world as dance makers so i say i'm sh- i'm sharing all to say that like i'm not unique um mm. in this environment you know what i mean yeah. like i'm i'm unique in the world but the these questions these environments invite you to think about what you as an embodied person who's focusing a career on the experiences of being embodiment can offer to the rest of the people who are also experiencing embodiment within the context of oppression. <laughs> Woo-wee. Yes. <laughs> well, I say, at first I was like, no, Jay, you're very unique, but you explained yourself and it, make, it, make, it makes perfect sense. I see, I see what you're saying now. That sounds like a very um, amazing, fulfilling school experience. You know, it, for it to be so laid back and so free for all, and you know, obviously everything is stressful. It can be stressful, so I'm sure there were moments where you were like, "Oh Lord, what's going on?" But wow, only when I took them science classes. Everything else was good. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> oh man, and you and you do a lot of uh, so you you said that you were able to do like the choreography stuff, performance stuff. You you did a little bit of everything. Yo, when I was in school, I literally did everything. Okay. Um, I was technically a dance education major because I put a limit on myself. Um, cut that, danced a lot, choreographed a lot, danced professionally outside of the university, created an organization called Free the Dance that offered free dance classes to the community larger around uni- the um, university and um, protested. You know what I mean? Like I did, I was I was active. <laughs> wow. Oh, my gosh. So talk about the one of protests. So how that how that look back in you doing that? I mean, I was I was growing up at the time of like SB 1070, which I think we know more about via um, Ava DuVernay's Thirteenth Amendment. Yes. Um, yep. So, growing up as a black person in Phoenix, Arizona, racism had a, more of a focus on xenophobia and um, the hatred, essentially, of immigrant workers. Um, so, being a black person, you kind of just like it was like these people fighting, and you kind of be like. 
I'm just over here. <laughs> I'm just looking from afar. You know what I mean? Like anti-blackness still exists, you know, as universal as global, unfortunately. But in terms of like what the rhetoric was, it was Mexicans versus whites or people who were documented versus undocumented. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So I was in uh, my senior year of high school. We the Phoenix High School District uh, students, we left school, marched to the city hall to protest against those kinds of atrocities. So it continued on in college. Um and a lot of my art community in Arizona was created along the lines of abolishing all forms of oppression against people who are just immigrants. Wow. Oh my goodness. And this that was in high school you said? Yeah. Oh my gosh. That's a okay. <laughs> I'm thinking I'm I wasn't doing enough for high school then. <laughs> Good for you. You didn't enough. You were here, right? You? Yes, I, yes, I was here. But Jay, that's that's very impressive. You know, that's that's, <laughs> that's that's a lot to take on as a high schooler. But you know, good for good for you. No, we did it together, though. Yeah. It was never just me. Yeah. When I say yeah. the district, it was like city halls in the middle of all these school districts, and the aerial view can show all of these students like leaving school and going to the city hall, and being like, "What the fuck are you doing?" Yes, yes, power numbers. I love that, Jay. Really? Wow, wow, wow. Okay. So bring it well, we bring it back to uh, uh, the curriculum and um, what, what did you like doing the most? Obviously, so you do a little bit of everything, but did you like choreographing in school? What, what did you want to really lead with when you left? I didn't know. Okay. So I did everything. You did everything. Gotcha. So you graduated. Did your final audit? Was there like a final big dance project that you did to choreograph to get out? Yeah. Um, yeah. Didn't have to, right? So that's how lax the school was. You could but, write a paper. <laughs> <laughs> Just like, didn't have to do that, but... Whatever. If you wanted to, here's the resources, right? So um, while most people choreograph one piece or dance in one thing, I made four projects. I made a film project, um, wow. a solo, okay. a duet, a solo that I performed in, a duet, and a group piece. Um, what was most impactful for me was the solo I did. It was all around love, um, kind of just tying back to that audition experience I had. I wanted to like, you know, wrap that up um, and expand on carving out a big heart and throwing it on people. You know I'm what I mean? Say, I feel like there's more to say. That's my favorite Jay story so far is the big heart. <laughs> Talk to so like, I'm, right. So I'm literally exploring love, and I come up on this uh, confrontation that I realized I didn't love myself for being black. Like I didn't love myself specifically because I was black. Ooh. Okay. Deep so cut. So then my solo project was the confrontation of that, okay. and my artistic career from then on has been in remind. As uh, it's, it's more, I don't think I really have the words to say this, but. It was a. It was in response to, honestly, how easy it is for all of us to fall into not loving ourselves because we're black under yes. these systems of oppression. Because I didn't, I didn't come from a non-black environment. Like my dad, um, my family was the black family. Like, yes. you know what I mean? Yes. Like, I'm, I'm in the African marketplace wearing dashikis, and you know what I mean? Like. <laughs> Very pro back. I'm I'm the one that's not saying the Pledge of Allegiance and getting sent to the principal's office because I'm like, fuck the power. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yep. Yep. And lastly, like my dad was very my dad and my mom were very important um, or did very important things to make sure that their children 
had the perspective of blackness that affirmed that they were under attack under this country mm -hmm. and that there is something that they can do to survive through it. So to still find myself hating myself for being black within that context requires some investigation. And that's what I've been doing in my work is like really digging through all the ways that we can fall into a trap, wow. but then also understanding that as soon as you figure out that there's a trap there, you begin to understand how to dismantle it. Traps only work when they're unseen. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, 110%. Wow, that's very interesting. So do you think the, I guess is the, what do you call it, self-hate you had, I guess you were battling throughout? Was that because uh, you said you were mostly in white spaces while you were in school? In college was that part of that part of society part of the media like what was what really you know caused that to the self-hate i think i think the main thing is a child's perspective right okay it's just hard to see yourself clearly before you're 30. right right <laughs> absolutely so, and, you know so and then i'm trying to make friends and i'm not even make friends because they're literally telling me it's because you're black yeah I'm trying to find sexual relationships um, in my teens with other black people. And I'm finding out it's because I'm black or I'm too dark. Um, mm. So like literally the universe is telling me your access to belonging and worthiness is blocked because you are black. Oh my gosh. Wow. How else are you going to take that as a child? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Sorry. And this, you know, it's, I've ran through many people in my life who has battled that, you know, um, some have lost that battle. Some are still going through it, but you know, that's, uh, I'm glad you found your way out. And that's, I obviously we're talking about this later on, but Saturn is kind of like a, your way of kind of combating that too, right? Absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. You know, so right now, this is my big plan. My big yes. fucking like genius idea. I don't know if it's fucking genius. I don't know, but it's fun. <laughs> uh, it's most, most important, right? So um, Saturn is a world building project using film, live performance, and digital media to create a world post the post the abolition of uh, systemic oppression. Yes. And the importance of uh, the placement is that creatively, one, I have to start imagining life after we've already handled the shit that we've handled. So yes. I'm placing myself in a world where we've, we've healed this, right? But second, as an invitation, it's an invitation for us all to situate ourselves in a reality in which we've healed that wound and we are now in response to what we are responsible for after we've abolished these systems of oppression. Wow. Yes, yes. And I actually read through that whole page <laughs> and I watched some of the diaries um, that you had on the page as well, the, the Saturn Diaries. Very well done. Um was this why you were you had already moved to New York when you started Saturn? Yeah, Saturn is something I just started during my Saturn return. <laughs> okay, perfect. So let's back up a little bit because obviously you had uh, there's a journey from you coming from Arizona, eventually coming to New York. Yeah. Um, so what was the in between? So you graduated from school. Did you do any internships? I know you were part of the um, let's see the the, the was it Billy T. Um, Billy T. Jones. Yes, yeah. was part of that. So yeah, what was the steps for you come to new york and to take us there yes i'm gonna give you um so i'm gonna get i'm gonna give you the like chronological steps of things so i graduate i take a year off 
um, to have a mental breakdown. Mm-hmm. <laughs> transparently. Yes. Um, and uh, then I go to, um, I get to New York 2015. So I graduated 2014. Mental breakdown between that. Get to New York August 5th, 2015. Okay. Um, and search for a community of black men dancing so that I did not have to be the only one anymore. My yeah. brothers also danced. Like, I have two younger twin brothers. Oh, really? They danced too? Yeah, they went to Arizona State, got their BFAs and danced, and they were on the step team with me and everything, yeah. Oh, dope. Okay, well, that would make you feel a little bit better, too, yeah. Yeah, yeah, but but we weren't, we're all Aries, so we don't really like to be in the same room together. Oh. We'd rather <laughs> run our own things. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah, fair enough, fair enough. <laughs> yeah. um, so I ended up... Um, and it, like essentially, if my brothers weren't there, I was essentially the only black man, male person in the room. So I moved to New York in search of that, and um, I'm dancing for companies like the formerly known Alyssa Monte Dance Company, under the direction of Tiffany Ray Fisher, mm-hmm. who is is now called Emerge One Twenty Five. That's the new name of the company. Um, end up dancing for Crystal Brown and in Spirit Dance, um, in the role of Muhammad Ali in um, Opulence of Integrity with Orlando Zane Hunter, Ricardo Valentine, Wendell Gray II, Tyrone Bevins, Michael, not Michael, um, not not me, not me getting his name, because I always called him uh, something wild, Matthew. <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing to him right now. Um, Matthew. <laughs> Lou Morse the third. no. Uh, <laughs> Matthew. Um, yeah, we were all different manifestations of Muhammad Ali. Um, wow. And then after dancing for essentially black women solely and um, foremost, they have danced with Jamal Barnes and Dante Brown as well, but they have this like feminine spirit um, within their queerness that for me, I still think of them as like black films. Yeah. Um, yeah. In that perspective, I, dan- I then danced with the Bill T. Jones Arnie Zane Company, which was the peak of what I thought my performance career could be, dancing with this MacArthur Genius Award-winning artist and touring the world and stuff like that. Um, and then the pandemic hits, uh, I get fired because I stand up for myself. Um, and okay, <laughs> okay. Um, right, I refused. I just, I just refused to be harmed at work as a within my with my mental health you know what i mean like i'm taking care of it yeah and um i'm making work about mental health i'm making work exploring black trauma as a performer and um like i said the pandemic hit so that recontextualized everything and my saturn return happens at the same time so i take a i finished my final like chiron and leo project which feels like the full like peak of my exploration of what black trauma and black mental illnesses could look like in performance practice for me um and I decided to take a year of rest to explore what would be next. And that's where Saturn became to be birthed through the decision to center my Black experiences in joy. Because I'm realizing that if there's anything that's going to be helpful for us all to battle oppression, it's going to be to laugh mm-hmm. gleefully, to be in pleasure gleefully, and to have fun in the face of all the things that says that we're not worthy of it. Yes, absolutely, man! Wow, and I, t- I tell everyone to go to Saturn. I will link everyone to go to that page because this is very powerful. Um, but I want to know because obviously you're in a mecca of the arts and creativity, and it's a place that a lot of people want to be who are creatives. 
But I also want to be realistic about it. New York City can be a hard place to be. Um, sure. So tell us about your experience of this. First of all, why New York City? Because you mentioned because you want to be around the black, you know, and queer dancers and people. But obviously, there's other pockets of the world that you could have gone. So what was the calling to New York? And then talk about just how you were able to, you know, when you first got there, the ups and downs, any doubts, uh, just the hardships and all that, if, if there were any. I feel like any times people ask New Yorkers about, like, tell about your experience in New York, you will see them all kind of be like, <laughs> That's all I have to find, you know. <laughs> This place tries to kill you. Yes, that's what I keep hearing, though. That's what I keep hearing. Everyone's just like, it's a great city. It's amazing. Everything you want to do is here, but it was, it is, it's been a journey. <laughs> a lot of ups and downs. A lot. Everyone, ha- everyone will say their thing about New York, but one thing I'm, I found is that New York is a place that will show you the most clear images of the parts of you that you fear most Mm. and require that you make a healthy relationship with them in order to survive. Oh, wow. Okay. I like that. That's a, that's a very real answer. (laughs) Cause there's, there has been no experience in New York that I've had that wasn't already a fear that I had. So I wanted to live in New York. Yeah. That was the first thing. So you want, you wanted New York was a place that you wanted to live. Okay. Before dance, before art, as just a kid, I would watch those movies and be like, yep. why aren't the buildings tall around me? Why isn't there a lot of people just walking outside? Why aren't people just making art on the sidewalk and yelling and doing <laughs> random shit? Like, I want that. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. It is, yeah. It's the same. I think most people had the same kind of responses. Like, I wanted to be in that environment and exist in a place like that. So I just did yeah. it. I just did it. Yeah. Um, it's great that the industry aligns. You know what I mean? I think the the thing I'm realizing as I'm talking with you is like more things align um, in my life with the hindsight view than me trying to line things up. Mm-hmm. Um, right. So like I said, I wanted to live in New York. I also wanted to get away from my family. Okay. That's another, another big thing. Yes. Yes, um, I love my family, and it wasn't like I wanted to get away from them because of them. I wanted to get away from them because I didn't want to be reminded about the dark parts of my reality anymore. So I was running. Um, that's real. That's real that's shit. Very important to know if you think about moving to New York. Whatever you're running away from, you're gonna hit. About to say, New York. <laughs> about to say, about to say, you only run so far. <laughs> Wherever you go, there you are. Yeah, there you are. That's one of my favorite ever quotes. Yes, wherever you are, they yes, wherever you go, there you yeah. are. That's beautiful. There you are. That's amazing. So, so the ups are in relationship to the downs, and the downs relationship to the ups. So, like, you know, when I first got to New York, everything seemed like it worked out for me. Like, people were people who had you know done New York would literally hear me talk about my experiences and be like, "Yo, I've never heard anyone have." a winning season like you how is this even possible i land in new york i mean even though i'm living on the couch on a white man's couch and there's in harlem involved, paying 700 a month uh, <laughs> um the general things about new york were like i found a job really easily uh that was paying well i was not 
working in environments that I hated. Everything was in alignment with what I wanted to do. I was in a relationship two weeks after getting there with somebody that I met. It was really, really good and wonderful. Um, so yeah, it just seemed like, and I was connecting with some of the most people, most important people that, um, are still wonderfully impacting my life to this day. Um, so all to say that first season was great. And then the summer came the first summer in New York. Ooh. And that's when all of the fucking terrible things about humanity kick in where your boss tells you that they didn't, um, enter your timesheet. So you're not going to get paid this time period. Oh, Oh my God. <laughs> right. <laughs> and that the nigga that you uh written from, the white nigga, he uh decides not to renew, renew the lease, so you gotta be out in a month and figure out a place to stay. In a month? Yeah. And then New York doesn't allow you to just sign a lease because you can afford it. You have to make forty times the rent. Like your salary has to be forty times the monthly rent in order to even qualify. So you know that's not me. Um well, you so say like, four or forty? Four zero forty. Oh, how? How is that? So, like, that's that's how... Because, you know, New York City has a median, like... Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like, salary that's really high in comparison to most of the world. Okay. So, okay. most landlords have the law beside them to say that if you're... If the rent is $1,000 and you don't make at least $40,000 a year, you can't even qualify. Because okay. there are people who are who can and they'll be here yeah. essentially. So like yeah, yeah. Um, and you know, rent is never a thousand. But I say thousand dollars is that's here in Greensboro. That's a thousand dollars. I'm paying. Yeah. Oh my God. No. For that's, a house. No. Or for like a home. Like something. Yeah, I, not a. Not a. It's a big yeah. townhouse. <laughs> see. See. Um. So yeah, it was it was that reality, and then you know, survival instincts came in. But all to say, as as difficult as all the stories I could possibly tell about New York are, the more important things was how um, how we were, as New Yorkers, able to spin gold out of bullshit. Because mm. that first summer, and I didn't have the money to make it work, you know, I relied on community. I told people what my situation was. was fine. I found someone to live with. Um, I literally took my credit card, bought a bike from Target, got on Postmates, and I was up and down this this Manhattan island. Yep. You know what I mean? Playing Pokemon Go in between deliveries, <laughs> doing my best. You know what I mean? Like I'm telling you, make the best out of it. <laughs> I love that. That is such a yo. If you're listening, that is that's something good to take home with you. Make the best out of any situation. <laughs> you really can, because at the end of the day, this is my gift. At the end of the day, I've already experienced living outside. Yeah. I've already experienced being homeless. That as much as I'm afraid to go back there and I don't ever wish to go back there, the experiences of them is the gift that I received in this life. So I'm also not too afraid of it. You know what I mean? Like I see the signs I'll navigate away from it. So when I saw that, I was like, all right, look, worst case comes scenario, I'm living outside again. I made it. I can make it again. Yeah. You know what I mean? But it's that kind of resolve that puts us in a perspective to think, what is the best I can make out of the situation when you're not only afraid of the worst case scenario that can come to your mind? Absolutely. Wow. And it takes a lot to get to that point. So, I mean, luckily you've, I'm mean, not luckily, unfortunately you've been through that. So I can, you know, you're like, Hey, it is what it is. You know what I'm saying? 
Um, yeah. But we all got at the end of the day, we all got our shit. Yeah, we all got our shit. And if you think about, and you probably know this now, going through your Saturn return too, the trials and tribulations of your life, you've already met once, twice, thrice before. Yes. It's just a different manifestation of it. It's a reminder. And the thing about that same reminder, even though if it is the same bullshit you have to deal with, you're also reminded about how you navigated through it the first time, how you survived. You're either going to do the same thing with new resources and more genius this time, or you're going to take the lessons from how you fucked up the last time and do better this time. Either way, you're going to win. Yeah, absolutely. That's the best outlook on it. There it is, Jay. <laughs> laying jewels on y'all. Hope y'all listening. For real. That's crazy. <laughs> so were you able to jump right into a dance program or dance group as soon as you got to, to New York or did it take a little bit to get kind of, you know, used to your environment and finding your people? New York happens fast. So it was almost immediate. Okay. So you found exactly where you wanted to be as far as I guess a dance program or a dance studio or whatever. Yeah. Like, um, so I had the support of the university behind me after I graduated. So okay. I put up a Facebook post, say I'm here in New York. People are dropping into my DMs, audition here. You need to have meetings with this person. What's your email? I got a da 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 So like literally people were pouring in things just by me saying I landed in a place. And um, I learned that if I had an internship at this place called Give Me Dance, which is formerly known as Dance New Amsterdam, I learned about it in college. I understood this is a very important space for my artistic community to just sit at a desk and meet all the names that are going to come by if I interned there. So I did that. Um, I auditioned for the Melissa Monte Dance Company, and I ended up getting in as a uh, apprentice with uh, Tiffany. Tiffany, so, yes, and I'm Tiffany. dancing yeah. there. Um, I'm looking for jobs. I thought I was going to be a personal trainer, right? So, I was a certified personal trainer. I have served what? as a server in restaurants in preparation for moving to New York. Realized none of that experience is going to get me to where I wanted to go. Yeah. And then um, my roommate at the time told me that he made more money um, and had a better schedule with teaching and after-school programs. So I ended up applying for after-school programs and I got two jobs. Um, the main one was teaching uh, both STEP oh. and leadership for after-school program. Making um, and then I'm saying this for the people who might need to figure out how to get into I'm about to say, wow, that's a lot. 30, 35 an hour? 25, 25, to 30 uh, 25, 25 that was starting i of course made more by by the time that's some good money <laughs> and then i was also teaching ballet and um creative movement to three and five year olds which is probably the most important job i've ever had in my entire life teaching creative movement to three and five year old kids in the bronx off of gun hill road at mind builders creative arts center shout out to them um because there are lessons in life that you cannot learn from anyone other than the three-year-old. Yes. And it's important yes. that you learn them. Yes. <laughs> Tell some of these important lessons you learn. I learned that humans pay attention in ways that you cannot assume. And it's best to make a space for them to pay attention in the ways that best works for them. Mm -hmm. um, I had my favorite experience with the student in that age group was this child, I can't remember his name right now because um, it's been years and a lot of trauma has happened in between our experience. Yes. But, um, but he, uh, he came to class and his parents told me that he was a little skittish and that they were 
ready to take him out of the class if they felt like he wasn't ready because he was three and it's for three to five so they could like try again next year if he got more social skills um but he came into class actually i want to talk about two students because two two they happened at the same time both three-year-olds the girl the black girl um she cried he stayed aside mm. so she would cry the whole class he would not participate but keep his eyes on the class the whole time and both parents both sets of parents were ready to take them out if i said i couldn't handle it mm-hmm. i reminded them i was like no they'll be all right they're literally not doing anything to disrupt the environment my class is still happening um within three or four weeks um she stopped crying and started participating okay he started participating at his at his will let me tell you something this boy will let you know what he's not going to do though like, <laughs> i would do i would give them animal um improv things like you know put on some music and be like you know animal freeze dance sorry that's what it's called animal freeze dance okay yeah they'll I'll call out an animal they'll move like that animal when the music stops they freeze if i didn't call out an animal that that boy liked he ref- he was like i'll wait <laughs> He say frozen. <laughs> he, no, he like, frozen. He would just he would just look at me and be like, "I'll just I'll just wait." I'm not doing that. I'm just not gonna do it. He wanted to be a bat, a ninja turtle, you know, all these things. But if I didn't call out his animal, he was good. But the more important lesson about this is that from all of the parents um, involved with these two children, they let me know that though they cried and did not participate in our class in a way that you might assume. They went home and did the entire class as if it was happening right before them. Wow. Put on the songs, did all the warmness and everything. Some kids, some people, not even just children, because we, you know, as much as we talk about growing up, there's this difference between being a child and an adult. It isn't. Um, Some of us just learn differently. Some people need to cry the entire lesson, just weeping in order to download it some people need to be as far away from it <laughs> as possible <laughs> watch what y'all doing real quick before they get in and the environment of a three-year-old their adorableness their kindness their their natural instinct to protect children that we can all tap into um what weaving that into the lesson plan to make sure that that space was impactful for them to grow taught me about how i can also be a space mm-hmm. as a person in which everyone around me can receive what they need in terms of what they need to learn yes. so that also includes telling some niggas no because yes. you know i did have to i still was the teacher in the space you know what i mean i still have to be the thermostat not the thermometer yes absolutely um, <laughs> but at the end of the day affirming that some people need to learn by crying it out means that like yo if my friend needs to cry in order for us to have this conversation let's cry let's cry what do you let's do it together yeah yeah good for you I'm... yo that's sorry. I, mean, I just going on because i was going to talk about how some some friends need to just literally go away from you just be like i just need to not be around you no i'm I no please say that's very important to to, to also uh iterate to people it's like so yeah somebody needs to say, hey just go do your thing away yeah. for away away from me Mm-hmm. love you know <laughs> yes that's so crazy i mean also with kids i don't know like it's funny how we get away from the kid mindset of like speaking your mind um not holding back you know it, it teaches patience um and there's so many other things it's crazy you had those experiences with those kids that were probably so important and that they probably know how important that was for you 
you know, being so, so young um, and how you were able to, mm-hmm. you know, grow a lot within yourself and, you know, probably help, helps you in your practice now. So. Oh, gosh. That's, it helps me in life. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I have a lot more patience for people when I ask myself, what does the three-year-old them need? Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. So eventually you had to leave the teaching to, I guess, put more time into the dance stuff. Or how did that work when you left? New York is one of those wonderful places that everybody wants you to be your best self, yeah. artistically, truthfully. And when I say everyone, I'm specifically eliminating all the people who don't care about you. Don't ever interact with them. They don't have your messages in heart. They don't matter. They don't mind. Um, but for everyone who is in alignment with you, um, I'm teaching places. And when I had auditions, they would, we would just try to find someone to cover the class. We're like all in it together. All the teachers that I taught with were also working artists themselves. Nobody held just one job. Yeah. Um, so there is just a porousness for you to come in and go when it's time for you to go along the lines of you doing the thing that you came here to do. Mm. So, yeah, I got the job with the Billy Jones Honors Inc. Company. Couldn't do it anymore. It was a loving exit, and I'm here. Wow. Okay. So you're talking about the transition. So did you go to pretty much working for yourself? I mean, do you, are you kind of doing your own thing now? Yeah, I am a full self-employed artist with a business, a few businesses, and I, I make it work over here. Yes, um, yes. So, yes I, want, <laughs> I, want, I want that whole story. So tell us how you would develop the businesses and the steps involved and, and all that. I mean, my parents made sure that I knew that if I was employed somewhere that I was not free. So Hey. Thank, shout out to your parents. <laughs> I'm dealing with that right now. <laughs> seriously, yes. seriously. If you are, if you're literally just, if your schedule is not determined by you, you are not free. You're not free. Yes. Um, <laughs> doesn't matter how much you're getting paid. And um, in that way, I've always made sure that I was investing time literal financial resources and just the resources of my talents in something that was going to take care of me down the line. Um, whether that was making my own art, studying astrology, um, becoming a personal trainer. Like I just, again, I don't know things. I identify with what I don't know. I don't know more. You know what I mean? Yeah. And Eric Badu already told us that man who knows something knows that he knows nothing at all. So yes, what I, what I look for in life is the knowledge. I search for things. I try a bunch of stuff out and hindsight being 2020 has always led me to know that at some point what I'm doing today is going to support me tomorrow. I just don't know when or how, but if I keep my eyes open and keep myself like, um, keep myself joyful about the perspective of life I'm currently in, then I'll be able to see it. So, I wish I could say that there was this linear path into doing something. Even the even looking back, it wasn't linear. Oh no. Um, I did admin stuff because I have an obsessive compulsive brain. So sometimes I do I get a sense of peace by like logging in numbers. So as a you know, oh, I did okay. a bunch of admin okay. stuff doing that kind of stuff, right? Um, which supports being able to start a business. It's a bunch of monotonous tasks to start a business that most people don't get through or don't believe they had the capacity for because they don't exercise that part of themselves. Um, you're dealing with the state, you're dealing with the government. You know what I mean? Yep. Sometimes it's not even that you don't have a good business idea. It's just that it's literal 
white papers and red tape in the way. <laughs> so yes, like I I built talents and skills, and I often I just as a person, um, no, that's not it. My mother taught me um, that you can't only rely on what you do well. I used to give up on everything that I wasn't immediately good at. Mm-hmm. So when she gave me this lesson, um, I started focusing on what I didn't do well. I have to come out of that now um, with the obsessive mind and with therapy because you I gotta appreciate your gifts. But in being in being in practice to build strengths in areas that you're weak at lets you have a bunch of different skills that you can rely on when you need to. Um, the gift of life is choosing the responsibilities that are in alignment with your genius and what gives you joy. So admin work doesn't really give me joy. Mm. It, it's like a, it's a disassociative task. So when my brain wanted to disassociate, log in some numbers, put on some music, put on some jazz, log in some numbers, right? Yes. Um, but my zone of genius is not one in which I'm disassociating. My zone of genius is one in which I'm very present. Um, so I now have these skills as a business owner, artistic director, and so on and so forth to be able to communicate with people who are going to take these tasks away from me so that I can know what's going to be the best relationship for them to be in it, understand how I don't give them too much. Again, it goes back to that same thing. Carrie Cope was talking about at Arizona State and the importance of being in roles that you're going to ask other people to fulfill in your life. Um, mm. So then at that point, you know how to communicate with them. Everything else after being able to communicate well is just a gift. But if you don't even know how to communicate in that language, you don't know if you're harming someone. Very true. Yes. Wow. That's okay. that's that's major. Like just to round out that the getting my own business started, it's just a, it's a series of attempts that re- made me realize, like, okay, I have what I need now to start the business. Let's go. Let's do it. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? That's 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 very impressive. I mean, obviously you make it sound very easy. I know there's a lot of hoops and hurdles uh, with starting a business, especially a place like New York City or just in general. I know how it is because I started one too. Um, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, exactly, 110%. And I'm just very happy. Your parents, shout out to your parents for instilling that thought into you like, hey, like you need to do your own thing. If you truly want to enjoy and appreciate life and be free. <laughs> sure. Like, <laughs> so and specifically tell her what these kind of what these businesses are because i know you do a, a little bit you know of everything so are you no, I, I do one thing okay one thing i do one thing i talk about dance i physically dance i teach dance i choreograph dances i'm in my body i talk about embodiment i work from the space of embodiment so that's the okay. one thing i do in the business is all different kind of manifestations of how we can bring our focus back to the body um, I do a lot of different things from that because the body does so many things. Think about all the things your body does in reality. Yeah. Yeah. So my limits to what I do as an embodied artist are the limits of the body. And in this way, I'm currently focusing on making art projects within the realms of performance, film, and digital content for the Saturn project, um, the world building project. And that is informed by um, skills like teaching so i can literally go to universities i was at ucla and i can Mm -hmm. teach what i'm creating um talk about it with the podcast you know what i mean and yes the dancing podcast that i started um as well as 
and that's also a co-organizing space where we're organizing to make sure that people within the dance industry have the resources that we need because we're severely underfunded and under-resourced, especially in comparison to most other art forms. Right. Um, you know, um, and and then finally with astrology, as much as I thought that would be like a separate service, it just goes back to it again because with the concept of as above, so below, everything that happens in the sky informs what we're going to do in reality. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, not a, it's not a coincidence that Beyonce dropped uh renaissance on the leo new moon new moon is a great invitation to start some new shit yes leo is all about loving yourself (laughs) and what was those lyrics about during the whole album loving yourself yeah yeah exactly so in this way astrology has become a important tool for me to just plan my future plan when i release things plan when i work on stuff plan when i rest plan when I journal, you know, I miss Virgo season now that we're recording this. Or not no, it's not Virgo season. I'm preparing for Virgo season. Right. Right. Um, as we're recording this and at the end of Leo season. And Virgo's organized and digest. So I had a I had this performance season and I'm going to take some time to digest it and plan what the next year is going to look like. Um it's also meditative. You know what I mean? So all this to say astrology, as much as it has been a service for other people, um, it goes back to the embodiment thing because if I can allow myself to be in alignment with how the sun and the moon at the very least move in the sky as we see them every single day, mm-hmm. then I can find myself to be in alignment with the larger ecology as opposed to being in alignment with this form of, with a human imagination, a human delusion that is capitalism, right? Yeah. Like, so it, it, it goes back into how do I take care of this body while I'm in it? This body needs to have a healthy world, a healthy plant relationship, yes. healthy food relationship, rest relationship. And that's all reflected back into um, astrology in many ways. So I've been able to use that technology to support not only myself, but as a business owner and artistic director, it informs how I collaborate with everyone. Even though I may not use the astrology language, I just it's just how I move. Right, it's in it's in you, so you you know you know how to navigate it. I did, that's probably a very good combination, you know, just knowing astrology, you know, that can kind of tie into everything you're doing. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So I've, I've definitely thought about diving into it. I have, a, I have a lot of ton of friends who are into that, um, who have shared you know a lot of information with me on it, and it's very interesting. Yeah, so. let me know if you want some support because it's it can be a lot. Yes, it is a um, lot. <laughs> and sometimes the astrology community doesn't know how to direct you to get exactly what you need so I can support you in getting closer to just what you need as opposed to all the other shit. <laughs> Absolutely. And I want to have you back on and talk about that on my other podcast too because I think for that'd sure. be very helpful for, for, for the homies. The fact that you got two podcasts blows my mind. I'm like, how do you have the time? And you and you are a photographer. Like, you are... You are we got to talk more. <laughs> yeah. No, we're going to be... No, Jay, we're, we're, we're homies. We're, we're in it. We're in it. We're in Absolutely. it. Um, and I want to talk about, I want to jump ship, and this is also to do with what, you know, what you're doing now, to these films. Um, yeah. You know, you got a space between words. You got, it's pronounced Chiron, right? In Leo? Chiron. Chiron, okay. Chiron. Chiron Leo, which is based on Greek myth, right? Yeah. Yes, yes. And I'm, I was my one of my minors in uh, in school. Work! Yes, yes. I was a classics minor in UNCG. Yep, yeah, yep. Yeah, I studied that. <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. Yes. Yeah, so you're going to get astrology. Astrology is, you've got half of it down already. <laughs> yes, exactly. So I was familiar with a little bit of it. I was, as, as it was getting, you know, I was getting uh, some information on it because I studied that in school. But, you know, I still got a lot to love, a lot to go. Yeah. Um, and you have holding on um, onto innocence as well. So 
want to get into more, more of your movements and how you um, put emotion into your choreography and how are you able to tell these stories through dance. So can you kind of give us a rundown of the process of you making these movements for these pieces? Yeah. Oh, like the physical choreography? Yeah, this you physically dancing for these different pieces you've made. Yeah, Ooh, this is great. Hmm. I'm gonna take it a little bit chronologically and try to tap on to little bits of each things that you've named. So the first piece I shared in New York was um, Holding On To Innocence. Okay. And that was my first time of bringing the spoken word. I am not a spoken word artist, but I admired spoken word artists. I'm a poet. My dad's a, a poet. And um, I always thought that the best thing I could do is get on stage and just talk. But yeah. I was afraid to. So <laughs> <laughs> um, I needed to dance first. And once I got to that point, Holding On To Innocence was the first invitation in which I was going to speak. Um, so the movement came within the relationship to what movement and words do together as a visual imagery. What happens when you are hearing someone talk about their life in relationship to any subject, but for this work, Hold On To Innocence, their relationship to um, being a black millennial, seeing people being gunned down on the news and in social media mm. um, while watching the image of another black person, black man, um, performing as a child in the Superman onesie. <laughs> oh man! Wow! Yeah, yeah. So the so the the movements, all the different things. This is where college is supportive. It gives you tools, questions, and systems to essentially like get the choreography out. Um, but the main question about the movement was what happens when you hear this and see this at the same time. Mm, okay. Um, one of my favorite devices for Hold On To Innocence was doing this sense of randomization, um, taking some images of like what I imagine Tamir Rice was doing on the playground um, when he was playing with that toy gun, mm. and inviting um, Wendell Gray II, the collaborator for that project, to be in those images and shapes and move through them in like a very radical way, even playing around with like some of the gun sounds. Yeah. Um, and the movement was generated in a sense of like, I had a randomizer on my phone, so I would be like, randomized body part, randomized body part, oh, put wow. those two body parts together. Or randomized body part, randomized direct, or two body parts and randomized direction. So like, how do you separate your left wrist from your right heel as fast as you can? Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. So then after we did that, took it piece by piece, we stitched it together and like try to just iron it out so it just looks like one fluid intention. So what were we going to talk about? We were going to say... Um... <laughs> This is Anywhere But Here. My name's Maria. My name's Tom. And we are two reluctant residents of Greensboro, North Carolina, who yeah. want to talk about it. And want to talk about it with other reluctant residents of Greensboro <laughs> and kind of explore our accidental love for the city. Yeah, it'll be great. I'm excited. I'm very excited. We're going to have guests, and then you and I are going to talk for hours. 
many, many hours. <laughs> so many hours. We're looking forward to it. This is Haley Motzinger, and you're listening to Free Pizza. That sounds so complex, but <laughs> wow. I mean, yeah. and for people listening, I want to link the website, obviously Jay's website, to you, to watch these pieces and to link you to, to it's powerful. Yeah. Content warning on Hold On to Innocence. If you're watching the one in a big-ass church or, like, big-ass open wood area, I gotta. I really gotta go my Vimeo and be like content warning, ra- like radical replication of Black Death because yes. that was the last time I allowed myself to die on stage. I'm not doing that anymore. Yeah. Um, oh God, I bet that was. Yeah. Yeah, it was powerful, but I, you know, just because it's powerful doesn't mean that it's worth you know doing every night. Yeah. Um, and then uh, the space between words was an ev- evolution of the idea of um why hold on to innocence uh hold on to innocence came up with my nephew who was five at the time asked me while i was working at home wearing a superman onesie um why are black um why are police killing black kids yes yes because he overheard the conversation of my um father and his mom talking and i had for the first time i had to explain it to him so this piece was me trying to you know understand that reality um, the space between words came with me understanding the toll of living through that. Cause you know, my nephew is my nephew asking this question, but I was born in 92 in Los Angeles during the Rodney King. Uprising. Oh so yeah. Wow. I would, I was before I probably could recognize the conversations I was physically around my body received the conversations from the adults trying to figure out how to raise black children in this new environment. Um, and the mental impact be, started to become clear to me when I started to like have, be triggered by the sound of a gunshot. Like I'm still in New York, right? So I'll hear a gunshot and be frozen for like two hours in the kitchen. And I had to like make sense of that. And as a dance artist, I make sense of that through movement. So the space between words was Wendell and I uh, revisiting essentially that first conversation of the space of holding on to innocence about children, but instead of disassociating ourselves from the child we just decided to be people in it and ask our living selves like wendell what are you going through <laughs> like, you know what I mean? like we're in this world together what do you need and we started to realize like this is how we got the movement for it we started to realize that both our identities of being black and our identities of being men were being challenged within our practices of being queer and gay mm. So we were experiencing um, all of the traumas, right, of being black in America, but we're also realizing we're experiencing the lack of care because we were identifying as men. So we realized we weren't hugging men that closely because we only allowed for physical touch to be something that was sexual or combative. Mm -hmm. So then the movement became... um, we use contact improvisation, something I learned in college at Arizona State. Shout out to literally every white dancing, somatic practice hippie person who asked these questions really clinically. Mm-hmm. We understand that you did not think of black people in it, but body to body, <laughs> we can take it from here. Thank you so much. Yes. Um, <laughs> because we did we did contact improvisation, and contact improvisation is literally as what it sounds like: being physically in contact with somebody and not planning the movement, just this exploring. Really is- Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. the movement generated from us 
deciding to dismantle what we thought we needed to do as men as related to touch. And, um, wow. and finally, Kyron and Leo came up because as I'm deepening my understanding of why my mental health was set up the way that it was, um, I started to remember that um, my brothers and I experienced a lot of traumas yeah. that we didn't know were traumas because we didn't have the language back then, right? So Absolutely. new language, new perspectives, new realities. Um, so the piece that Kyron and Leo became was initiated, was first initiated by this trio that I was working on with Dubois, Akeem, and Yaman Brown, which would have been essentially a replication of my experiences of being in home in traumatic environments with my brothers. Mm -hmm. um, it didn't end up working out that way. I think Spirit basically said, if you're going to do this work, you have to do it with your little brothers. They have degrees in dance, Jay. What are you doing? Like, you can, <laughs> if you wanted to do that, you can literally just bring them in. Yes. Um, but it also was important for me to get out of the older brother mindset of thinking that I have to take care of everyone and just take care of myself. So, Chiron and Leo was literally getting the movement of what does it look like to actively be in process of healing your traumas? Wow. Oh, my goodness. Jay, <laughs> that's a lot. I'm very impressed by that. You were able to, you know, kind of have a release and to make these movements for, to kind of cope, you know? Um, so when you're in the process of, like, you know, obviously Blake Canvas, you, gotta, you know, you wanted to film a project. What kind of what kind of what does that look like for you to when you're like just going through these movements? Obviously, some of it's improv, but some of it is choreographed. How do you how does the move how do movements work? Like, do you do emotions come with different movements or how how does it work? You know, from your perspective, every project needs something different. Yeah. So when I know um, what the project needs, I go through the training to be able to give it what it needs. Okay. Um, as much as I'm a creator, I also am a, am a performer. So it's like, it's like when actors talk about like they get the role and they realize like, oh, you know, I'm going to have to put on some weight, lose some weight or, you know, whatever the thing is that the role requires. Um, I do that. So right now, this current project, Saturn, requires the performance of a um, neurodivergent character named MX Black Copper who hosts a hologram radio show in like 2023. Um, who's trying to understand uh, who's trying to understand this abolition of children like why you know what I mean so in this way this character shows the music on this hologram show through their body um, and whacking and punking is a performance practice improvisational practice freestyle practice club style that uh explores that and i am deepening my relationship to whacking and punking um so that i can do that and it's similar to the goal is similar to what michael jackson talks about when he talks about movement he had this oprah interview um maybe the oprah interview yeah, actually i remember that when she asked, yeah you remember when she asked him um how do you come up with these movies like you grab your crotch like are you yeah. thinking about grabbing your crotch you know what i mean he's like no you just it just, you're listening to the music and you're performing and you're allowing your body to do what the music says. And sometimes the music kind of tells the body that that's the most appropriate reaction. Yeah. <laughs> so you do it. Yeah. And you don't think, you about, don't think it about it as exactly. a performer, you know? Yeah. Wow. That is. 
Wow, that's amazing. And then obviously, I need to look at the because um, I know the um, um, the Chiron and Leo was uh, need to pay. Is it that's what you get paid for, right? Say it again. You have to pay for the Chiron and Leo. I haven't watched that one. Yes, 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 yes. That's yes, what you're yes, right. yes. I'll, I'll go back. <laughs> I can send uh, it to you. Too. Okay, that worked too. Either way, I want to support you. So if this money goes to you, I don't care. Yeah, um, it does go right into yeah, the bank. I really, so yeah, I really appreciate the support. Yeah, I don't want to. I was in a coffee shop earlier and I was going through the videos. I was like, this is 18 plus. Let me watch this. <laughs> let, me, let, me, let me watch this. Not in this public setting. <laughs> yeah, no. Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> because I was literally getting ready to do it. And I was just like, ah, okay, let me go ahead and get home first. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so yes, I definitely do that, and obviously you can see a lot on your Vimeo, a lot of your performances, which is why I saw the Saturn stuff. Um, and this is what I'm wondering is after you finish these, after you finish these pieces, you go back and look at it. Are you fulfilled? Do, do you do you feel like you mm. you got a point, got across what you were trying to do? Probably a little bit of question. <laughs> question. You know, there's so many ways of, there's so many perspectives of responding to the question. They all can be true. Yeah. Um, but the truth I want to share is that there's a larger mission that I'm never really trying to complete. Okay. Yeah. Um, and that mission is to, I like I said, make dance, the experience of being in your body, accessible. And the current obstacle is these systems of oppression. So mm. the abolition of them is one goal. Once we reach it, we get to explore whether or not um, I have any more missions to complete. Yes. Okay. 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 Good. Good answer. Good answer. Thank you. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. So, what's your day to day look like now? Like how? I mean, the life of a full time, you know, dancer, and uh, you know. Obviously, you're in a rest period right now to where you just left a, a busy streak. So how's that? How, how's the day look for you? My moon is in Pisces. Uh, so I float. I just <laughs> making plans is just an invitation to rebel. Yes. <laughs> so, uh... <laughs> Absolutely. I'm the same way sometimes. You know, the last thing you want to do is the thing you said you were going to do yesterday. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Even with. It's funny you say that. With that thing, with every, and I love this podcast. I love doing all these interviews. I've talked to some amazing people. When it comes up to it, sometimes I get so nervous. I'm just like, why did I plan this interview? <laughs> we planned this, you know, weeks ago, and it's just like, you know what, man? <sighs> all right, whatever. Let's go ahead and do it. <laughs> yeah, and sometimes you need that freedom to yeah. like improvise yourself. So, and in, in life, honestly, the the goal of the day to day is to just be in the frequency of the vision of my life yeah so i come you know sometimes i get off track sometimes i get distracted things like that but the question from moment to moment is is this in alignment with my vision mm -hmm. and i do that i like that yes yes and also we're still in a pandemic so kind of briefly tell about us about your experience kind of working through that as well so how were you able because you had you had, had that job that you quit um fired you fired okay sorry Fire for, for setting up for yourself, um, yeah. and that was in 2020. Yeah, that was in 2020. I'd like to make the distinction that I was fired because, as dance artists, we often um, we often end up giving more, understanding that we're being under supported, under resourced, and quite frankly, abused. You yeah. know what I mean? 
Um, and I think it's important for us to know that while we know that we have the choice to leave, when we choose to stay, mm. we are receiving the consequences of our choices. Yes. And I don't like for I don't like the record to reflect that I left willingly because I leave a lot of things. I want to be very clear when I do say fuck no to a bunch of stuff. But I didn't want to leave. Um, I wanted to stay because I wanted to um, try to be a hero, essentially, mm. within that space. Yeah. Um, by saving, quote unquote, saving people from themselves. I wanted to create a mental health um conversation within that space for everyone involved but right. didn't happen so um the pandemic was a clear reminder that i have to take care of myself yes yes 110 i hope everyone yeah. kind of got that too mm-hmm. yeah. and we all respond to it differently yeah. so um up until now like i've literally fought the idea of me taking care of myself is is enough because i you know you'll see this in the work um but i live with mental health challenges suicide ideation being one of the major ones that i'm healing through now mm. and one of the root thoughts as beautiful and shiny and loving as it sounds the root thought to my suicide ideation is um, my life is worthless unless I can help someone else. Okay. Yes. So, yes. During the pandemic, I took a lot of opportunities and did a lot of things that you have seen on the resume Mm -hmm. as like dope things, right? Which makes the the experience (laughs) that much more challenging, but also like unique because like there's two sides of it. I did have the experience of helping a lot of people with making a relief fund mm-hmm. well, um, literally yes. at the top of lockdown, right? Um, the dance unions, New York City COVID relief fund. It was beyond just the fund itself because I was a part of a network um, of relief funds on all levels, national and local, that were making sure that dance artists got the care and support that they needed. Yes. Um, one of the most beautiful experiences I've ever had, as well as um, creating the Dance Union Town Hall, which um, confronted white supremacy in the dance community um, in a way that we just haven't experienced yet. But um, the pandemic showed me that even with getting your face and your work in the New York Times, if you don't love yourself enough to prioritize your need and care, you're still going to have to deal with the shit that keeps you um, awake at night. Yes. Um, Absolutely. You can't escape it. Wherever you go, there, <laughs> there you are. There you are. <laughs> <laughs> that is, I want to remember that. Listen to this. Wherever you go, wherever you wherever you go, there you are. Everywhere. Yeah. So every that, that's my relationship to the pandemic. It's been like, literally sit down and think and take care of yourself. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, and you mentioned the podcast briefly just a second ago. I want you to talk about the podcast because I think it's uh, it's a great show from the episodes I've heard. Thanks. Yeah. Uh, so the Dance Union Podcast is a podcast that talks about all perspectives of dance, perspectives of dance from the perspective of people who are dance and movement artists themselves, and includes performers and uh, people who use that language dance. 
and the subjects are all major life subjects that we're experiencing all together on this planet. And um, the importance is to have a perspective from people who are in the craft of working with their bodies. The title, The Dance Union, is a tongue-in-cheek invitation for us to think about collective work and like slash unionizing within that field for the folks who work in the dance industry. But it's more a reminder of what I do in that space, which is to unionize humanity in the idea of what movement can do to support us. Uh, we've been on a hiatus after um, the exhaustion of the things I mentioned before, the Relief Fund, the Town Hall, and all the other organizing that we stepped into. Yeah, <laughs> I can only imagine. <laughs> right, and we took we took the lessons that we learned from the conversations on those nearly 100 episodes, um, and we took the invitation to rest when we got it. Um, so we're preparing to come back with new episodes to expand upon what we've learned about how important um, a perspective of union, unionizing together in the form of body yes. <laughs> is for it. And I lastly want to shout out somebody who's so important for us all to know. Her work is so important for us all to know. Sonia Renee Taylor. Sonia Renee Taylor, write it down. Yes. Sonia Renee Taylor is um, okay. is a poet, spoken word artist, and uh, author and community organizer, activist, so many different titles, but her book, The Body Is Not an Apology, specifically outlines um how every form of oppression that we're experiencing is a body-based oppression. And knowing that it's a body-based oppression lets us know where, again, the trap is so that we can dismantle it. Wow. Wow. I need to put that on my Goodreads list to read that. Absolutely. Truly. There's a workbook that goes along with it I'm about to get into myself. So if anybody wants to hit me up and talk about getting into the workbook, I would love to have a community around doing this work. Let me know if you want to be a part of it too. Then. Yeah, absolutely. I'm on with it. I, I'm, 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 that sounds, the book sounds very great. So the, the workbook would be very impactful as well. Um, okay. Wow. This is, this is a lot. And I've got to ask you a bajillion more questions because going through your website, but you know, Eventually, we gotta get this wrapped up. <laughs> get this wrapped up. No, this is. I mean, it's. But we are just building our friendship. So yeah, this is. You can for, call me. We'll talk. Send voice notes. All the shit. This is the beginning for me and you. Let me let you know that this is the beginning. <laughs> but my friend Art, who is a dance photographer in New York City, um, I got. So I went to him because he was. Um, he's from where I am, and um, his parents are dancers, and he's a dancer as well. I said, "What good questions can I have? Uh, you know, to ask a dancer." So he gave me two questions I want to ask you. Okay, um, so. Let's see. What are some ways you see your movement experience impacting the rest of your life? Uh, such a great question. That's such a great question. <laughs> yes, I'm going to link you to his profile too. He's a, he's a great, he's a good guy. Please do. Yeah. Okay. Can you ask it just one more time? Yeah. What are some ways you see your movement experience impacting the rest of your life? Um, my movement experience has shifted so much further away from step that very aggressive, like tension kind of movement where the value of the tension in your body and the form of it is the craft to one that, um, explores how loose and soft my body can be and in my life now. I'm no longer asking first, what can I do? I'm asking, who can I be? Mm. In order to be myself, I have to relax. I 
something like that. Ooh. <laughs> okay. Yes. I was going to throw Jada's curveball, see what he's, see what they say, and man. Okay. Okay, Jay. Okay. One more. That was a very good response. <laughs> One more. What was the happiest moment you had while moving? And in contrast, what was your toughest challenge when pursuing dance? Here it is. So. Ask the question one more time. I want to make sure I hit it. What was the happiest moment you had while moving? And in contrast, what was your toughest challenge when pursuing dance? Okay. Both the happiest and the toughest all wrapped up in one. Cool. Um, the first performance I had back after the pandemic. I got hit by a car, by the way. More context. Oh, my God. Yeah. Okay. So, okay. Wow. Sit by a car. <laughs> Summer of 2020. Okay. Um, and um, I had to recontextualize the relationship with my body in order to dance, you know, all of this stuff. But, of course, I hadn't performed. And truthfully... I realized that was the first time I went a full calendar year without performing since I was like 10. A full year? What was I the injury? 10 to 28, I hadn't gone a year without performing ever. Just hadn't. Oh my God. How were you able to... Earlier, but go ahead. How, yeah, how were you able to just... I mean, that'd be a shock to your system. I didn't have a choice. My yeah. body hurt. Yeah. All the Oh. I didn't think, couldn't couldn't think about performance in that pain. But with qigong, yoga, meditation, all this other helps. A bunch of um, needles being stuck in my body for months at a time. Um, I was getting to a point where I was like, I think I'm ready to perform. And I just started whacking and punking, and I wanted showing the music is the phrase. Like I want to show the music as if the sound that you hear is coming from the movements of my body. And with that invitation that that performance practice improv practice however you want to name it um with the task of showing the music i wanted to show the sound that i thought is the most beautiful in the world which is the sound of the electric guitar okay oh okay it's my favorite instrument favorite sound favorite frequency down um so i created all these um well, not I created, I cut this music, these electric guitar solos from some of my favorite songs. So I knew them well enough so that I can improvise to them, put them on a track, basically dance to them in a performance. And as I'm outside having my pre-show smoke and, you know, speaking with the ancestors, doing my general pre-performance meditation, asking for the ability to open myself up. This is the challenging part of performing. The goal for me is to get out of the way. Mm. I need my body to be a gate for all the things that need to come through for the for that experience for everyone. And any any awareness of myself is um, blocks it, and you can tell. So wow. um, that's the challenging part. The best part was that I'm outside having my smoke, and like I'm two, three puffs in, and I hear my music playing. So I literally, like I literally come back in. I'm like, y'all about to perform right now? <laughs> But the bill says somebody supposed to be here. Oh, she's not here? Oh, I need to go on now? You come on. Okay, let me run backstage, get my costume on, jump up in the space. And if you're on my Vimeo page and you watch uh, 
sweet, sweet electric guitar. That was that performance. Oh, and yes. The little smile before is me being like, okay, y'all ready? All right, here we go. Um, and in that performance, um, this is the best part, happiest. I felt so free in my body. Mm. There had never been a movement, dancing, performance experience up until that point where I actually felt free. Wow. Open, yes. Tap, tapped in, tuned in, yes. Free, no. Choreography is already a bind. Yeah. You know what I mean? Other people's ideas of what my body needs to be is a bind. The rehearsal process, all the other stuff is a bind. That was literally me on stage being like, I'm dancing like I'm in my living room. Y'all, you're you're welcome to be here. You know what I mean? <laughs> and I and now the current challenge is performing like that every single day for the rest of my life. Wow. Wow. That's crazy. That's beautiful. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I'm so happy that he asked me those he sent me those questions. Wow. That what a response. Those are some good ass questions. <laughs> yes, it's funny. He actually sent he actually sent me way more. I'll send you the whole thing just to see what he sent me. Um, but yeah, Art's a good guy. And then he sent, he sent me those. I was like, okay, yeah, I'm gonna pick two of these. I'm gonna ask Jay during this interview. I appreciate that. And I and honestly, I have to say, I'm very grateful for the the amount and the way you've done your research um, yes. in preparing for this conversation. I know you're gonna go very far um in this route you know what i mean doing that work it feels great i like i told you before we got into recording yeah this conversation is going to open me up to a bunch of stuff that i didn't know i needed but i'm here so Jay, I same good. same you know every person i interview is bring something new to the table and i learn something about myself and just the world around me so this is amazing i appreciate you i appreciate that i've gained a friend through this um you are a beautiful human i hope i uh, know not hope we are going to cross paths in person absolutely. yeah that's, that's if amber don't bring us together we just gonna make it happen a- absolutely oh, so i know where does she live los angeles okay she's in, okay she's california okay gotcha okay i wasn't quite sure <laughs> yeah. um yes. Yeah, she's been out there for a little bit. Okay, okay. Where, where, where? Yeah, I, I should have asked when I met her uh, in New York, but I never did. Um, but Jay, wow! I hope you know that you've come so far from being on that step team to having your own thing going in one of the greatest cities in the world. <laughs> I appreciate you. I appreciate that. You know, when you you know this, when you're doing your thing you are often only concerned about like what the next task requires the okay. world and your life gets so minute to that thing that um it's rare to have a opportunity to spend two hours just reflecting with someone yeah. um so this has been such a gift beyond what i have language for right now but i will continuously great be uh, share my gratitude for you as i learn more because i haven't been able to weave that story like this until this very moment Yes. Thank you so much. I'm grateful. I'm grateful. I'm grateful. <laughs> and I can't wait for your podcast podcast to come back. Hopefully by the time it comes back, I've caught up with all the episodes. Uh, right. whenever that may be, maybe this year, next year. Do you know when? Oh, we're recording episodes now, so we're okay. just doing things differently. We're planning to do a season. Uh, we'll get the timing out. And if you follow the dance union um on Instagram and we, we don't have the website up right now. So if you follow the dance unit on Instagram, you'll get notices about that. And also, if you're new to that podcast, just start listening around. There's no chronological order for you to listen into. There's no direct um, intention in that way. So just scroll through. If you see a conversation that makes sense for you, get in where you fit in. 
Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And I would say I'll link all that in the description. Um, are you offering dance classes for the public, or are you just doing more private, I guess, teaching environments? Yeah, not right now. Okay. I um, I find myself inside of university departments um, okay. working on the Saturn project, so I teach through there. So you might see me at a university near you if you're into, if you're a dance major. <laughs> okay, fair enough. So you're going to travel around a little bit and do your thing? Yeah, okay. yeah. Teaching right now just... I need a break from it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Take your breaks. Please take your breaks, people. Listen to your body. <laughs> yes. But Jay, yeah, what's next? what was that? What's next for you? What's next for me? That's a good question. So obviously, uh, I'm setting up for, uh, I just have this, uh, I have so many projects going. I'm doing this project right now called Room, where I'm photographing people in their rooms just to showcase uh, private spaces. Uh, I'm launching that in September. Um, and I'm preparing for this uh, Nets uh, adventure in Georgia. Mm-hmm. You know, it's coming in January or February, probably January. Um, just taking this podcast, I said I established a whole brand that's an umbrella of all of this. So a small record label because I want to start scoring films. Yes. Yes. So Wait, you, you do music too? I do a little music as well. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Yes. So Jacob, who Jacob, who started this podcast with me, um, we have made music. We've made two records over the years, all instrumental. Um, Mm -hmm. Because I want to score films and he just likes recording music and he also plays every instrument. So he's taught me a lot. Yeah. So um, working on that, um, I'd establish my LLC, which is both podcasts, Mm -hmm. the record label and hopefully some artist management one day. Um, Mm -hmm. So yeah, I have a lot, I have a lot going behind the scenes, but it's it's, it's all. I'm making them two photo zines right now as well. So yeah, yeah. So we, we we're working. We're <laughs> working. And do you have like a job, or is this all you do? So I just left my full time job two months ago. Um, I worked at part time just to have a cushion. Um, it's a very easy job and it's very relaxing. Actually, my boss, when I left, my boss was very happy that I went uh, part-time there because he didn't want me to do that forever. He knows that my heart is with these podcasts and art and doing this. So I'm, he was very happy that I left. <laughs> Good, right? Because, you know, you've got to do, you got to be in your zone of genius. Yeah, absolutely. Um, absolutely. So, yeah, that's, yeah. that's kind of big. That's kind of the next steps. I'm happy to hear that. You got to tell me more about the Savannah uh, adventure. Yes, absolutely. And there are direct flights from Savannah to New York City. So I will be there and you are more than welcome to come down south. <laughs> oh, I haven't been to Georgia yet. So, yes, I would love to. Oh, Savannah is a very humongous art community. Um, a school called SCAD is there, which is a massive art school on the East Coast. Um, yeah, when they look it up, SCAD, it's called SCAD, S-C-A-D, um, huge art school. I'm sure you could probably do some dance stuff there. Um you yeah. know, if you come on tour, that'd be great. Um, or or, or some travel thing. But um, yeah, that's my next step. And you're very welcome to come and hang out. I would love to have you. Thank you. And I'd love to have you here. Let me know when you're back in Brooklyn. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, yes, everyone listening. Thank you for listening to Jay. Um, gosh, so much to <laughs> unpack with Jay. He does, you know, they do so many things. And uh, in his, his words, I'm out here doing my best, damn it. <laughs> What else do you want from me? The world is ending. That's Jay's like, words. <laughs> when I first went to your website, I was just like, Jay, this is amazing. I'm out here doing my best. Damn it. 
Oh, oh yes, but yes. <laughs> uh, but yes, go and support Jay. Um, and support the podcast. Tell uh, your mom, your dad, your cousins, your friends about the show. I'm trying to feed my kids. <laughs> Get some sponsorships. <laughs> I don't have any kids. That's a joke. But um, yes, I'm trying to do my thing. But Jay, thank you so much. I appreciate you. Stay on the line because I need you to do one more thing for me before you bounce. But everyone listening, have a good morning, noon, night, whenever, whatever you're doing right now. And uh, be safe and much love. And thank you. And goodbye. Peace. <laughs> the Free Pizza Podcast. We are on Spotify, iTunes, SoundCloud. Just go on the Google App Store. Go on everywhere. Check us out on Instagram, Facebook, MySpace, Live Journal, Twitter. We tweet. We'll do smoke sniggles. Whatever y'all need. Thank y'all so much. Have a good night.